Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But now she has but one dream, solving the snowy caper. Working title, the most wonderful crime of the year, a Christmas whodunit. And Joe Ippolito says, I'll wait by the phone. <laughs> Garcia will find him. <laughs> I, I mean, I just think at some point, Greg is going to find it irresistible <laughs> to write one of these things just to see, will they do it? Will Hallmark do it? Can uh, I what, get it on? At what point does she get a tip from her uh, inside source? The plow driver goes from Marblehead to, <laughs> to Revere. Revere. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Speaking of which, from Cher to Haiku, possible titles from Marvelhead to Revere, <laughs> and Hope Sprung's Eternal from Sprung. All right, let's read this. This is from Greg. And it came within hours, within hours of that part of the show. Sometimes I listen to the podcast at night, and I guess I must have fallen asleep right before the end of Monday's show because I was flummoxed when people on Twitter were asking me about writing a Hallmark movie. But now that I'm sufficiently caught up, let me say I would happily slip into a comfy Johnny O outfit, grab a jumbo bag of gummy bears, put a fire in the solo stove. Those things are okay indoors, right? <laughs> Illegally log on to my parents' Verizon Fios account and tune into the Hallmark Channel to watch a marathon of all the wonderful TK-themed Christmas movies that were suggested by your listeners who continue to amaze me with their brilliance. Ironically, a certain company, not Hallmark, has been asking me to write and direct a holiday film and one of the many ideas I've considered is a spoof of a Hallmark Christmas movie. However, I fear that a This Show Stinks-centric version may be considered too niche by the multinational conglomerate who'd be coughing up the dough. I'm also now a bit apprehensive about pursuing the genre at all. Given the fact that the email pitches were so dense, I worry that I can't use certain specifics in my script without ending up in a deposition opposite a myriad of littles. I mean, how am I going to write a spoof of a Hallmark movie and not use a female lead who's married to Justice, a sleepy upstate hometown, a breakup, a ghost, a snowy caper, Jesse Ventura, a cheese shop, the fifth largest gazebo in town before a string of gazebo arsons bumped it up to the third largest, and most importantly, love. I was really banking on using love as it is the Hallmark of Hallmark. So if this becomes the new game, can we at least call it by its proper name? Who wants to join the class action lawsuit against Greg Garcia? <laughs> By the way, construction continues on the 101 southbound near Montecito, but they finally opened the Padaro Road exit ramp, so people wanting to grab a bite at Thario's, you'll no longer have to drive all the way to Carpinteria Lane and double back on Foothill Road. Your pal, Greg. <laughs> Wonderful. That's brilliant. And on the theme of family and friends, my daughter Elizabeth... Michael's sister, Elizabeth, got married on Friday evening in Washington, D.C. Elizabeth and Ron are now married. She is now Sadie Sadie, married lady. I did not talk about it because over the course of her life, Elizabeth has not been thrilled with me writing about her and talking about you her. You mean but, the soccer game? Yeah, but she... <laughs> She and baseball games, but she gave, which actually worked out into a one-year sitcom, which made us a little bit of dough. Um, and I still have a jacket that says "Listen up." Um, but I asked for permission to talk about the wedding, and she said yes. One of the reasons I didn't want to talk about it is because of Elizabeth's discomfort. Fair to say, discomfort being Elizabeth Kornheiser and all that goes with that. That you you don't have. Fully embrace it, but again, this this comes with being, uh, in many ways, a son and my affinity to sports and... And the second child. 
second child, which obviously takes a lot of burden off of me, but also just my age and where you were in your career and travels. Yeah. So, so, but she gave me permission. She wasn't great with me doing this, not this, but other things in the past. And she understood that I would want to talk about it. Another reason I didn't talk about it quite honestly is I didn't want Littles crashing the wedding. (laughs) I mean, I really, I thought they would. I fully expected, I honestly expected to see Claire Natola there. I did. You know, Claire and Dina from Damascus. Right. And it would have been okay. Sure. But if there were 20 of them, I don't know that it would have been okay. So, you talk into the microphone. All right, all right, leave. Stop. Um, so I'm doing an open here. Uh, I, I forgot where I was. Okay, so um, I thought maybe there'd be Claire and Dina there. Yes. And, and I know that they would all understand that even though we love the game of Crashing Weddings by Littles, we don't love it for me. <laughs> we don't really love it for me. because I. Uh, but I didn't know half the people there anyway. Anyway, it was a lovely, lovely wedding, right? Beautiful. Lovely wedding. Yes. Absolutely lovely. Wonderful. Wedding. It was a lovely band. The food was great. Elizabeth's idea of not having served dinners and not having assigned seating, but letting people go from station to station and grabbing their own food. Elizabeth and Ron are both Brilliant. in and They're from in the, the hospitality yes. business. So planning a wedding and going through that, it's... In some ways, it's easier for them, but because they can see through all of the stuff, it becomes harder. So, I, I mean, Elizabeth would tell me her ideas. I would say, that's fine, honey. I would think, that's idiotic. But they all worked. Yeah. They were all brilliant, including one that I'm going to talk about now. My position as father of the bride makes me the last one into the room well, and should I say where the wedding was? Because it was so nice. You have to say where the wedding was. The wedding was at the Hay Adams Hotel. And let me thank Toby Ninth Lent floor. and Rob Stronick. Just, it's the best view in the world. It really I is. got a view story that I'll save a view conversation. But it's the best view in the world. And they did such a good job. Everything. And if anyone was in the area, this was a day that for the last couple of weeks looked like the weather was getting worse and worse and worse as we were getting the remnants of that storm. And we had some heavy rain during the morning. But... It ended up being a beautiful early evening and a great night. Really yeah. nice. Really, really nice. Yeah, not cold at all. It was actually so, nice. Yeah, it was 70 degrees as yeah. opposed to today where it's 34. <laughs> so I am the last one. There are three of us who are the last three people to walk in. Everyone is seated or standing depending on what's important for the wedding itself. Seated or standing. I walk in. Carol is on Elizabeth's left. I am on Elizabeth's right. We are arm in arm walking into the chamber area where the wedding is actually going to take place. I have never been told, nor have I asked who was going to do the wedding. I knew it was not going to be a religious service. I knew it was not going to be a rabbi and it was not going to be a priest. So I figured, knock yourself out. I know whoever you get, you get, you know, you, one of your friends or somebody else. Because you had... You, what, your wedding was the same way. Yeah, we had Liz's aunt, aunt. was the efficient for our wedding. And uh, I just assumed Liz's dear friend from Roe with Drew Tevis, the, the pastry chef, yeah, even who's though on he TV. was in the wedding party, I thought he would just sort of do double duty because Rehoboth was so important to the start of their relationship. Yeah, so, so uh, we walk in and I don't know who's going to do this. And I am also not really, <clears throat> not really looking up because Elizabeth has on a long dress a wedding dress and i don't want to step on it 
I have my shoes, in essence, under her dress because I'm afraid to step on her dress. Plus, I've been yelled at by everybody. Walk slowly. Follow my pace. Because if it's up to me, I'm two steps, I'm in. I'm yeah. done. And I, don't, I don't really want to, you know, I'm not <laughs> right. that guy. Yeah. Not that guy. I walk in. I'm looking down. I look up. Eight to ten feet from me is Nigel <laughs> in a kilt. And I go, I think out loud, oh, my God. <laughs> Right? Yes. Can you? Ex- I had, n- I had no idea. So, from my perspective, we are sitting down a little earlier, and we have you know the three boys. So we actually were on the Ron side of the seating arrangement, so that we could be closer to you know the the exit if we had to take the baby away. And so, m- my first little story here is uh, we are sitting directly in front of Alan. We're sitting in front of Coach Gary, and so Reed is just making faces at Coach Gary Williams for the entire ceremony. <laughs> and Liz, Liz, a dookie who has these great stories with Gary and is just sitting there going, sweat, Gary, sweat, <laughs> as, he's, as he's responding in kind to the little guy. So I have this triangular view where I see Nigel get up from his back row seat, and this is a few minutes after the tip is supposed to start, and I go, well, I look at Liz, and I assume he's going to start to say, like, hey, everyone, like, let's put the phones away. I thought you were going to be a pump-up guy or maybe start busking for loose coins just because he's seeing opportunity. And so I can see the, the sort of visuals as you enter, as you make the connection. I went, Nigel. oh, my God. Yes, the look on your face was oh absolutely Oh, my priceless. God. And, and then you do the wedding. Yes. You do the wedding. It's a lovely wedding. It's a short ceremony. You read something that you were supposed to read, and you improvised something you were supposed to improvise. Um, And Elizabeth and Ron had vows that they had written, and the whole thing took 10, 12, 15 minutes. Yes. No longer than that. And I was stunned, (laughs) absolutely stunned by this. And it sort of, for me, set the tone of what I would say was a very informal, attractive gregarious ceremony right inclusive and and fun yes most of these aren't fun and they you know because people take it seriously it was fun and it was also cursed in the middle of it informal but personal and because of that becomes just totally unique and representative of of the couple and a celebration of the the unique qualities of the couple what makes them so fun i you know where'd you get the kilt i uh, is that a -a rent-a-kilt store no that's a kilt i own I haven't worn that since I think Kate and William's wedding. Oh, so, when you when you were there? Yes, when yeah. I was there for that. But yeah, you know, it was it's a formal Scottish kilt, the black watch. If people want to know what the pattern was, um, it's a very. I, I would say this to folks who have never worn a kilt before. It's a very complicated item to put on. Yeah. There's lots of things that go with it. Got to be but, careful with the meundies. <laughs> How did you? Okay, careful. so tell the people because Ron took such delight in this. How long ago did they ask you to do this? If, if it wasn't a year, it was about close to a year. I mean, it's been, it's been some time. And, and, and I had no idea. Well, no it, one. We, I had no idea. We wanted to keep it an Ocean's Eleven thing. You know, we yeah. just wanted a very tight security. And I mean, when they, they, first they said, you know, hey, we've got, a, we've got something we'd like to request of you for the wedding. And I thought, oh, I'll read Corinthians or something like that. You know, I get I get asked to do that quite a bit because I, I like to read. I'm a good reader. Yeah. And then they said, no, we want you to be the officiant. And I was like, excuse me? Really? And I said, well, of course, I'm deeply honored. Uh, are you sure? And they said, no, we, we love you very much. You know both of us so well. Um, and here's the one catch. But, right. Tony can't know. And, and Tony and, didn't know. And no one could know. Swore me to secrecy. So for this entire year, 
I've been knowing what's going on as, you know, as we've talked about the wedding coming up. And you prepared for it. You got yes. scripts for it and you yes. did all that. And you also yes. probably had to sign up and be cleared to do it. I am. You have to have I, some legal stature. I, I think. am an ordained yeah, you minister. You might have missed that step. No, 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 I'm an ordained minister in the Universal Life Church, I believe. I've got the call. Oh, that one. Yes, that that's one. That's near Revere. <laughs> it's right. Yeah, it's on the way to Marblehead. Um, yes, and and what with the, the the wedding coordinator, Caroline um, Dutton, I think her Caroline name was. Caroline Dutton. Uh, was just fantastic, sort of guided me through. She was the one that gave me sort of the most of that that speech or, or the script, because I'd, I'd never been in that circumstance before to do that. So it was great guidelines to sort of read from. And, and Liz and Ron were just so wonderful, you know, and that... To be up there with them in that moment, to see your face, all three of your faces, you know. Was I was just, just laughing. Yeah. Just laughing throughout the entire fun. ceremony. Yeah, it just was just great Totally fun. joyful through the entire yes. ceremony. Yes. And Didn't I Didn't even think about the check I had to write. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think about it. But yes, it was it was just <laughs> magnificent. And you'd be amazed how many people came up to me after the service and said, So are you available? Because I've got I've got a wedding coming up. I would love to have you. Do you have you. a website? <laughs> That'd be so great. Yeah, if I could get if, the, like that could be the new game. Little's getting married <laughs> with and Nigel. Nigel. Yes. Maybe you could sell some salty the uh, sea cat books on the side. Exactly. Yeah, yeah make it a whole cottage industry. What do you think? So, and again, this is I, part of me is I'm just thinking about my own my own uh, place in life right now, which is it's a it's so wonderful. I, I'm the younger brother to see my sister get married, to see everything that goes with that. I immediately look to, to my wife, the other Liz Kornheiser, and maybe now the only Liz Kornheiser, uh, as we try and both understand. Oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to try and understand the that. fact that we see Nigel up there. Because <laughs> the night before, Nigel comes to the rehearsal dinner, which is in effect a family dinner. Yes. And I didn't even know you were invited to the wedding. And I just thought they, <laughs> I thought they brought you dinner to round out, you know, numbers and just sort of be a general conversationalist. <laughs> so, um,. Yes. Ron had to go to the marriage bureau, the license bureau, to get everything legally done. And he has to sign, you know, so that it's all legal. And then he says to me yesterday, I didn't realize this at the time. They spelled my name wrong. It's, it's, it's wrong. And so he's got to go back to the oh, marriage bureau. Yeah, got to get fixed. Because right now it's not legal. So there's an out. If anybody wants to get out, <laughs> they can get out right now. I did print them up wedding certificates. As an ordained minister. Well, so. you're allowed to do that. I am. But you did it with his real name. And with not, his real not name, yes. yes. So, and I think she... Did I, you pay I, for coloring? <clears throat> I did pay my for coloring, My guess is yes. you're right. My guess is she will take another name. I. That's my guess. I don't know. And I will keep that name private because, yeah. you know, you want to protect her privacy. By the way, when you saw me get up to walk, Saliza, who was also there, saw me get up... Saliza, uh, look, was, so, many, so many people were there. It was... It, Thrilled me so much. I hadn't seen my friend Mike Litwin in a long time. He looks like Rip Van Winkle. It's great it's fantastic. to see Mike. I had a great yeah. chat with Mike. Yeah. So. Um, but Silliza thought I was in a fugue state. He was deeply <laughs> concerned when I just got up and walked to the front. Thought I was just going to start babbling or something like that. So, yeah. But it was... I, I, yeah, I only had the one joke. I didn't want to make it a big jokey routine. Yeah, no, no, you were... Because it's service. So, yeah, I had the joke yeah. about the, the Godfather. But yeah, yeah, that was nice. Well, I had a Godfather reference. <laughs> you did as well. Yeah, yeah I no. sort of saw a theme there. Yeah. <laughs> I had a Godfather reference at the end of my speech, which I thought about like just that morning. I thought this will be fun. <laughs> Why don't you do that? You know, um, but the band really, was good. Yeah. Food was great. Food was phenomenal. View. It's the greatest. It really it's better is. than Indian Creek. They had a, they, so they, they're dinner stations, and again, they are in the business. So they want things that are going to be tasty, portable, fill Peking you up. Peking Duck. The Peking Duck Station. Oh, yes. Uh, Fantastic. They, they oh. recognized my face by the end of the evening <laughs> as I would try and say, no, that, this is for one of the three kids. Oh, it's just really good. And by the way, you know, when I got there, 
they had i was in the lobby helping somebody with some of my gear because again there's a lot to do with the kilt and the and carolyn came down and she was like Tony's coming down. We've got to hu- usher you away. So I went up like a side elevator and they hid me in this back room so I, I, no I one could see. I cannot be more honest that I had no <laughs> earthly idea. It's all Liz. Now, I didn't think about who was going to do the wedding. Right. But if you gave me a hundred <laughs> choices, I would not have said Nigel. I would not have said that. Never. Yes. And it was, uh, again, joyful for me. Um to go through that it was really nice and then then the wedding itself was lovely and it the view was great it's the view for those of you who don't know the view it's the view of the united states of america you look out the window of the hay adams hotel at what they call the top of the hay right and the white house you can touch it you can put your hand out and touch it and behind that the washington monument behind that the Jefferson Memorial, and then the, all the office buildings. And then you're looking at National Airport. So you're looking at planes take off and land, and it's, you go, wow, you know, this is it. It's gorgeous. We'll take a break. Michael Wilbon, who was there at the wedding as well, will join us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called Drunk Hungry. It's composed of Jeff and Jenny. They wrote the songs, recorded the album. And Jeff writes, I've been writing songs for a long time, but pretty much just for myself or Jenny or my kids. Once I gave up pursuing theater, I needed an artistic outlet that wasn't making reality television. In 2018, for my birthday, Jenny surprised me with a recording session at Lemon Tree Studios with the incredible Ed Donnelly. The idea was just to have a record for the kids so they'd have a copy of the songs. Our old man was always banging out on the guitar when I'm gone. Problem was that Ed kind of liked the songs. We talked about putting them out on his label, Way Out Sound Records. I drugged my feet. Then we had a pandemic. I wrote more songs. We should put that record out, Ed repeated. I drugged my feet more. Nervous about something that was mine being everyone's. But life is for the living. So here it is, four years later. This is a song called Blue Moon, not the Blue Moon you're used to by the Marcells. Blue Moon, and it plays in... Michael Wilbon, and I have to say this. Um, Wilbon and I, yesterday, and occasionally we do this. Well, regularly, not occasionally, but something will happen and I'll text him or he'll text me. And I was watching Red Zone and I was watching uh, the, the young quarterback on the Bears make a terrible pass that was intercepted, then make a great run for a touchdown. I'm going back and forth. And then... I began to fixate because Red Zone fixated on the Buffalo-Minnesota game. And it was sort of three ways. I'm doing this with Mike and Dave Sims as well. And Mike, you said that could be the greatest regular season ending you have ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was, I think that's very possible. I mean, Tony, any one of the sequences makes it just a great ending, right? 
Yes. One of them. Yes. Just the Buffalo part of it. And then you get the Vikings getting stoned at the goal line. And then, well, okay, so you know you've got, you've got the back and forth. And then, no, no, no. No, you get this ridiculous fumbled snap. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And then, and then you get overtime. I, I, I mean, the, the, the sequence of you get, you get Buffalo going down the field. It's, it's, it, it, I don't, you know, I'm not a prisoner of the moment. But I just thought, that I, I don't know that I've seen anything like this. For people who didn't see it, in the last six minutes of the game, Minnesota is driving. <clears throat> and this, the, the game is going to come down to this. And Kirk Cousins is finding Justin Jefferson, who is Jerry Rice, right, Mike? Yeah. He's Jerry yeah. Rice. Yeah. He makes a one-handed catch Ugh. that is, I'm sorry, it's one of the five greatest catches of, of all time, right? It yeah. has to be. Yes. He's being totally contested from behind by a defensive back, and with one hand, this is not an Odell Beckham show one hand catch, right? This is a real important catch. It's and and he gets them down the field, and then they come down to fourth and goal. The game is on the line, and Kirk Cousins, who I trash all the time, I'm not trashing him again. I'm not. He was right, Mike. He was good. Kirk, he was Kirk Cousins was good. He gets stoned on a sneak. The game is over. Minnesota cannot win. They have no timeouts. Buffalo simply has to run out the clock. And this is a more unbelievable fumble to me than Pisarchik with the Giants. How does this happen that Josh Allen fumbles the ball? How does that happen when you're watching it? What do you think? Well, you know, Josh Allen has made... I think Josh Allen, I think, has thrown... Like six interceptions in the last three games. Yes, and a lot in the red zone. Yes. And I'm like, okay, I, mean, I know Josh Allen's terrific, and he, you know, he may be you know the All-Pro quarterback, although not ahead of Mahomes, but he may be. Um, and so, but there's still some weird things that sort of mark his career at this point that you got to see him play his way out of. But not getting that snap, it just it, and and and. Minnesota can recover that snap. It's impossible. It is. It's it's, it's impossible. It's and actually impossible. And then forty four seconds left, and they go down the field. They go down the field. They do. And and and, and the Justin Jefferson part needs to sort of be examined. I, you know, I'm constantly sitting around, you know, here in my house on Sundays, and the, the one thing that Matthew and I still do together and is watch football on Sunday. We yell and scream at each other. And he really does know, I mean, for a little pipsqueak, he knows a lot about football. I mean, he makes some observations. I I say to him in real time, that's really smart. And he'll say, you know, every week, Dad, is this guy as good as Jerry Rice? And I said, I will throw you out of the house. No one's as good as Jerry Rice. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say that in my presence. I looked at him yesterday, and I just said, you know what? This is the first guy. I, I, I tweeted, actually. I didn't say it to him. I tweeted, is it, is it okay to put Justin Jefferson in the same sentence as Jerry Rice? For that one game, it is. And, no, Tony, it's not just the one game. It isn't. Look at Justin Jefferson's. Look at his resume. Look at his career. I mean, it's like his first video. 
like 1,500 yards of passes. No, it's not one game. It's every game. Because he plays for Minnesota, you're not paying attention. We, that's right. That's I pay right. more attention because it's Minnesota because that's what I pay attention to, the NFC North. Central, excuse me, the NFC Central. He's, Tony, he's like this every week. He's a game-breaker every week. He's the best player on a 7-1 and one team, or the 8-1 and one now. 8-1 and one team. And he's the best player was, on that team. He was just great. He's like this every week. He was just great. Cousins, so to, Cousins was so much better than he normally is. In the second half, he was really better. And the fact that Josh Allen went down the field yeah. after that fumble and put them yeah. in field goal range. And by the way, I don't know what kind of defense Minnesota was playing because they were giving them the outside yeah. when they had no timeouts at all. But, and then it goes into overtime. And then Josh Allen has a chance to win. Yeah. They're down three. And throws a pick Stunning. in the Stunning end zone. Throws the pick. So I'm I'm going to ask you this: Buffalo has now lost two games in a row. Yeah, the Jets and Minnesota, and this this Minnesota game was a big deal game coming out of the Jets. And Josh Allen succeeded and failed, and succeeded and failed. How much of a carryover is there for Buffalo and for Josh Allen, in your opinion? Well. I don't think there. I don't think there's much. I, I think that what we've seen of Josh Allen's personality to this point is that, that he's not that guy. He's not skittish. He's not scurred. Right. But I will say this: I spent those four years where Buffalo made the Super Bowl and lost. The years leading up to it and the years following, I spent a lot of time in Buffalo covering the Bills. And one of the reasons I admire the Bills so much as an organization is that they were able to just continue to they come got back. back no matter how many times they got punched in the mouth. They got back. But I know there are scars from that, Tony, long-lasting scars. I don't just mean with the, with the players. The players weren't around. The players weren't even born. But I, I, if there's any place that is scarred, is it Buffalo? I don't know the answer, but I'm willing to entertain the question. Yeah, I, I'm... And, uh, I, you know, I did not have them. You had them atop your power rank. Yeah, I did. I did not. I've had Philadelphia. I don't anymore. Consistently won. Yeah, I don't anymore. And, um, wow, and the Cowboys, you lose yesterday at Green Bay. What does that mean? So let me ask Probably you about nothing. that Probably game. Nothing. Let me ask you about that game. Mike McCarthy goes on fourth and four. He doesn't have to go on four. He goes yeah. on fourth and four. Dak Prescott gets sacked or whatever, he's falling forward. Mike McCarthy takes his headset and throws it down so hard it could have broken not just the headset, but the ground underneath it. And then the other team, Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, who played the first three quarters of that game as if he was disinterested. He threw ten passes for three quarters. Then Aaron Rodgers showed you something, and he did. He showed you something. What did you make of that? The Packers rose to an occasion to they, save their season. They did. They were down yeah. 14. Yeah, at least for now. Just at least for a week. Don't know if it's two weeks. Right. But there's not that much difference between any of these teams, despite what the, you know, the talking heads will tell you. I mean, there's not that much difference. I mean, and we've been screaming for the Packers to run the ball anyway. Well, they, damn it, they ran it. So good. You know, Did Rodgers not seem disinterested to you? For I don't know. I mean, I, I don't try to read the tea leaves of Rodgers. I don't, I don't engage in his body language. And all that. I don't care about all that. Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. He's been a great quarterback his whole career. 
and he's struggling right now. He's struggling. He's 38 or 39 years old. It's but, time to struggle. But Brady looks good. Brady looked good yesterday. He looked like crap two weeks ago. That's right. Three quarters. That's right. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't find the great proclamation declarations out of these games and these performances. Um, you know, if any one of them does, I mean, look, the guy I'm about to mention isn't even in the same conversation as those two yet, and he may never get there, probably won't get there. But there are declarations to be made. When you watch Justin Fields, I know you weren't watching the game, you're watching Red Zone. Red Zone, yeah. Game. Justin Fields does stuff that no one's done. Tony, Justin Fields last week went 60 yards. He ran past people like Usain Bolt to score a touchdown, and they lost. And then yesterday, after the, the soul-crushing Jay Cutler, like, pick, oh, he terrible. comes right back and he goes 67 yards. These are runs that Steve Young made, maybe. All right? Steve Young has a yellow jacket. I don't know that Justin Fields, who we asked Steve Young about, well, you, you went on the show with us with Steve Young this week, where you know. Nope. Frank and I asked Steve Young about Justin Fields, because we said, you, you had these skills. And Steve Young immediately identified with Justin Fields. And with Tony, the, the, the Justin Fields Bears of the last three weeks are the first team in NFL history to score 29 points three straight weeks and lose all three games. History. Not in the get-up era. Right. Ever. 1920. I, I sort of like Fields. I, I mean, I think the, I the easy comparison just for reference, is to Lamar Jackson. And I would say this. He's a better passer. He's no, a better passer. No, 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 no. no. I think he's he is. He's, Tony, you're watching highlights. I'm watching games. I'm watching okay, games. so, well, but... That, I watched every snap of the kid's career. So I'm, I'm, I'm locked in on him. No, he's inaccurate. Now, he's, he's getting better, which is really, to me, what should be asked is his second year. He's had, he hasn't had 20 starts yet. Your phone is terrible. Okay, well, I have no idea. I say you, you, you sound pretty good. Yeah, well, um, my phone is. But he, good. you know, he's not accurate enough. He misses passes. He can he misses run. Misses receivers open. But he has quarterback instinct. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, he does. He has quarterback instinct. He's not. It's not running back instinct. It's different. Well, no, it's quarterback instinct. Yeah, it is. He was the number one quarterback coming out of high school, right? Yeah, and also. At Ohio State, he was the most accurate quarterback ever in the NCAA history. So, he completed like 72% of his passes. Let me get to one other thing. How did you feel when Jeff Saturday put Matt Ryan back in and got on the sideline with all, with all it entails and beat Las Vegas? What do you make of that? Um, he, he made a nice move. Again, I, I don't... I don't go to great conclusions on these things. Matt Ryan probably shouldn't have been benched anyway. And you know I thought there was executive play at work there that I thought that Frank Reich was overtaken by his crazy owner. And that I told you in live time that was not a Frank Reich style decision. To just go from a veteran quarterback who yes, he's struggling, you can bench him. Yes, struggling. Yes. They made him the third guy. Yeah, that's not Frank Reich. That's not a hick. That's that's not. And so Jeff Saturday, who has the owner's full confidence, 
installed by the owner. Jeff Saturday said, I'm putting them back in there. I don't, I don't think these are, you know, earth-shaking decisions. It was the right thing for yesterday, and the Raiders lose every close game. The Raiders stink. Yeah. They were a playoff team, really? and they didn't sign the interim coach who got yeah. them to the playoffs. Yeah, well, I like that this guy loses. He loses. This guy is a guy that, to me, is not fit for a head coaching job. I... Now, they lose every game close, but, I, you know, the, I root against him. I actively root for him to lose. I just and so bad choice. The Raiders, but the Raiders are like the Bears. They've lost. Tony, they could easily be seven and three. That's right. They lose in one-score games. They stink. But the Vikings win all their one-score games. Who does? The Vikings. Yeah, they They do. win them all. Yeah, it doesn't mean that's going to continue. Well, you know, I, don't know. I, I think the Vikings are going to take them on the chin late in the season. We'll see. You know, I think the, I think the Vikings are going to struggle in division. I think they're going to get popped by the Vikings and the Lions and the Bears. I do. And, I, and I'm not sure. I think the Vikings are pretty damn good. But I just think there's not that much that separates these teams. You may be right. You may be right. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We apologize for the phone, which seemed to be crackling. Maybe we can fix that. Maybe we can call Sean and see if that can be fixed. Nigel, can we fix that? I think it was just uh, Mike's connection on the landline. Some, uh, you know. I understand, but can we eliminate any of those oh, the audio? static... Uh, yeah, I'll call Sean. Yeah, we'll see if Sean can... I was disappointed we'll he didn't bring his NFL umbrella to Liz's wedding. Oh, yeah, he brought it to your wedding. Oh, yeah, it's in all the photos. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take a break. When we come back, Pat Forty joins us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is the band Drunk Hungry. These are songs written by Jeff mainly for his wife, Jenny. You can listen to this in its entirety after the show. Michael, if people like Drunk Hungry want to send us music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And are we in the selling business today? Oh, gobble, gobble, gobble up all the savings as you yeah. look towards the holidays at Johnny O. Uh, please use the code TKGOBBLE. Pat Forty joins us now. And before we talk to Pat, we want to acknowledge that his daughter, Brooke, the Pac-12 Woman of the Year for the 2021-22 athletic season has now been named one of nine finalists for the NCAA Woman of the Year Award. I'll just read one paragraph here. A standout in and out of the pool for Stanford's women swimming and diving, Forty recently completed a master's degree in epidemiology with a 4.2 grade point average after receiving an undergraduate degree in human biology with a 3.96 GPA in 2021. How do you get over four, Pat? How does that work? I thought four was A. Well, how do you get over four? 
You know, inflation's been a problem in the country. <laughs> we have it educationally as well. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe she's cheating. I, I'm not sure. It'd be so great. It's like if the Astros were still cheating. It'd be so great if your daughter was cheating. Be so make me so happy. <laughs> I couldn't even spell epidemiology when I went to college. So it's, Nor could I. So it, uh, whether she wins or not, what a great honor, right? That's a great honor. Yeah, it's fantastic. And she's actually in Peru with the Peace Corps right now, but she'll be able to come back to the U.S. for the uh, award ceremony. Uh, and that'll be the first time we'll see her since September. So that'll be great. That'll be in January. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, before we get into the college football, uh, you are in Louisville, Kentucky, which is the heart of bluegrass horse country. I didn't know anything about Flightline till our friend George Millay started drawing pictures of Flightline and talking about him. And then I sort of found out from a variety of people, including Ron Flatter, who follows the horses, including Andy Beyer, who follows the horses, who is the horses, Andy Beyer, that the horse is a total giant, you know, that actually might be compared to Secretariat. You have done, you've watched the horse and you've done some work on it. What are you hearing and what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, uh, he's legit. Incredible, you know, incredible talent and, and ability. And it's just, it's a shame we never, most of America never really got to see him and appreciate him. You know, fortunately, you know, at least his, his name started to get out there enough for the Breeders' Cup Classic, and people could tune in then, but then it's hello and goodbye. Yeah. Like, who is this magnificent animal? Oh, it's his last race, which is kind of how horse racing goes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I talked to Andy Beyer for the story I did, and if Andy raves on a horse the way he raved on that horse, then guess what? He's really, really good. And he watches races, and it's jaw-dropping, and his effort in the Breeders' Cup Classic uh, lived up to all the hype, you know. I mean, just incredible, uh, won by a record margin, incredible suicidal fractions. They were going so fast, and, you know, the horse that he was racing with on the front end just cracked, which a regular horse would, and he just went right on past. So an amazing, amazing horse. I'm glad we got to see him. I wish we would have seen more of him. So Ron Flatter and I went back and forth in, in texts about this. You take flight line out of play, because you send him to stud and he's undefeated and he's great and you get the highest possible price. But if you are a sports writer, as Pat and I am and others are, you long for the fact that a horse proves this over some long period of time, goes into his five-year-old year, shuts down everybody all the time and makes himself legendary. I don't think this horse will be legendary because I guess because of his birth date didn't run in the Triple Crown, and it's such a small window of his dominance that I don't know that historically he will, you know, it's almost like being Gale Sayers and not Jim Brown. What do you think? Uh, that's a good comparison. Uh, it is, you know. And yeah, it's, I mean, sure. You want an athlete of that ability to have a long career and have everybody be able to, to watch and say, Oh my yeah. gosh, where, you know, where did this animal come from? Why is it different? Why is it so good? Uh, it's just, we don't have that. I mean, the, the only consolation really is the fact that now at least there's video of every race. Right. So you can go find, 
you know, the, his races at Santa Anita and Del Mar and the Met Mile and everything, and, and watch them and say, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. But it's unfortunate you can't go to the racetrack and watch him live anymore. You know, so that's the nature of the, of the business. They're worth so much more in the breeding shed than they are on the racetrack. And once you prove yourself, and he's very well-bred to begin with, uh, that's where you end up. You don't race very long. No, you know what happens if you race till you're six? You're a gelding, and that's why you're <laughs> racing, right? That's yeah. why you're racing, because there is yep. no stud fee. All right, let me get mm-hmm. to college football. Are you okay with one, two, three, four, the way it sets up right now? Yes, I am. Um, you know, Georgia clearly is number one. Uh, the two Big Ten schools after that, I'm fine with them, two and three. They'll settle things. They will uh, to a large degree on the field, and then I am perfectly fine with TCU at four, uh, and I think they validated themselves again uh, at Saturday Texas. at Texas. Yep. All right, so let's get to strategy. If you are Tennessee or LSU, and you are thinking to yourself, "Well, Michigan or Ohio State could go out; they'd have one loss." LSU can't say they have one loss. Tennessee has one loss. LSU has two losses, but LSU is in position to beat Georgia. If you're Tennessee, is that why you're rolling up 66 points? It has to be. Yeah, Yeah. right. That's why they were throwing bombs in the last five minutes of a blowout. Right, yeah. Uh, And I'm not sure that works in the modern era, you know, where everybody knows everything that happens. Uh, You know, nobody's waking up on Sunday to look look at the newspaper and say, let's see how Tennessee did. Uh, You know, there's plenty of information out there about how that game went down. But, yes, I would imagine that is the motivation for how Tennessee played against Missouri. And LSU's only strategy is to beat Georgia. That's it's in front of them, right? It's in front of them. That's it. That's it. They, I mean, beat, obviously, UMass and the worst Texas A&M team in decades. And then, yes, then take down the the, the big dog uh, in Atlanta. They get in, right? With two losses, if they beat Georgia, they get in, right? You cannot keep them out. No, I, yeah, I would think that you, they would get in. Um, and I mean, one thing, what we're kind of heading towards here, Tony, for people who are not necessarily fans of corporate gigantism, yeah, uh, i.e. the Big Ten, the SEC, their current and future memberships, the Fox and ESPN proxies, you better be rooting for TCU because that's the only team in the mix that doesn't have a tie to either of those conferences. You've got three from the SEC in Georgia, Tennessee, and LSU. You have two from the Big Ten in Ohio State and Michigan. You have a future Big Ten team in USC. And then you got a little old TCU in there. And we'll see if the Horned Frogs can uh, keep the playoff from being all about the Big Ten and SEC. What did it tell you? that the committee last week put TCU ahead of Tennessee because they did not put TCU ahead of Alabama the week before. Right. Uh, a couple of things. One, I, I mean, we've always said this, they, they like a zero on the right hand of the win-loss column. They've always liked, you know, been attracted to that more than strength of schedule necessarily, right or wrong, but that's the way it is. Uh, and secondly, they have eyes, and they watch Tennessee, Georgia, and they saw Tennessee get smoked. Yeah, even though the the margin of victory was only two touchdowns. And Boo Corrigan, the uh, selection committee chairman, said that acknowledged that both Oregon and Tennessee had lopsided defeats against Georgia. It's not like that was a close game. Not not at all. Speaking of Oregon, Oregon and UCLA are now dead. They have two losses. Does that 
Could that negatively impact USC? It could. Uh, it's possible. You know, I think USC certainly would have benefited from a playing a nine and one UCLA this week coming up in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. You know, the the the, uh, the stakes would have been higher. The attention would have been greater. Uh, they need Notre Dame to come in eight and three to the Coliseum on November twenty sixth. Notre Dame almost lost to Navy. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean this is a weird Notre Dame team. They're all over the board, right? You know, they 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 have some games they're great, some games they're awful. Uh, but but if you're USC, you need to try to you know to stack up big wins, and they've got three significant games remaining, but they've all been diminished a little bit. I agree by what's happened. When Oregon and UCLA lose, it it brings down the entire Pac-10, and I insist on calling it the Pac-10. <laughs> I should call it the Pac-8. You you look at at this committee, and I assume that this committee is made up of people from all over the country and all over college football from low levels to the highest levels. How important, if at all, is geographic distribution in a four-team playoff? Well, I, I mean, I think we would ideally like to see real, ge- real geographic distribution and diversity, but in the past that hadn't really been an issue. No. Uh, you know, would this, would this committee maybe look at it differently? Maybe but I don't know whether they'd pre- be predisposed to that. You know, in the past, we've, we've generally seen, like, three teams from the southeast and then some interloper like Ohio State, Michigan, or Cincinnati. That's right. Uh, so, But it know, never I, goes I past the Mississippi. Right. You know, it just right. it, it doesn't anymore. No. And the ratings are great, but it yep. doesn't go past the Mississippi. And I, I, I sort of wonder about that. Maybe they don't care. It seems they don't care. I don't think that's part of their conversation, really, or their thinking necessarily. Um, but then, like the Pac-12 hasn't offered them a compelling reason to that's pick right. one of their teams in years. That's right. That's this right. year, maybe they will. Maybe right. they'll, they will at least have somebody who can say, you know, it would be nice if the West Coast cared about this, <laughs> at so least a little bit. I watch these games. Everybody knows I did not grow up with college football. I've come to like college football. I watch these games to see how the teams do. I sit here now five-sixths of the way through the season, I have no idea if there's a front-runner for the Heisman. Is there? Uh, it's funny. I had this conversation with my editor uh, yesterday. and I, I, Boy, it, it is a very tightly bunched pack. It, there is no flight line out there in this group. Okay. Let's say that. Right. Um, you know, it's Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. It's C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. It's, uh, you know, a couple of running backs. It's Drake May, the quarterback at North Carolina. I mean, you, you could make a case, I think, for a really kindly, kind of widely distributed uh, ballot. You know, I mean, you could see a lot of guys getting votes, uh, which makes it more interesting to me. So, you know, I, 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 maybe, you know, C.J. Stroud throws for six touchdowns against Michigan, Michigan. Yeah. in a couple of weeks and, and ends this thing, but for now, I think it's it's really wide open, and that makes it more fun. I'll ask one more front runner question: Is there a front runner for a vacant job? In other words, if you look around and you say, "This is going to be a big job, and this guy's going to get fired," I tell you, uh, I mean, Auburn is vacant, right. and there's been a lot of talk about Lane Kiffin for that job. And you may say, "All right, that's a bit of a lateral move from Mississippi to Auburn," but. 
Auburn has a way of finding its way into the national championship race. Yes. Uh, and has won a couple. Uh, Mississippi never gets there, at least since they allowed black people to play, you know, back in the starting in the 1960s since segregation was over. So if you're going to chase a national championship, uh, I think that you, you probably have to, to, to at least think about it. Now, Auburn's crazy, but Kiffin's crazy. So, yeah. you know, I think that there might be a correlation there where those two things work out. Yeah, somebody sent me uh, on the Internet some guy, not a signed guy, a guy writing for a website saying that Deion Sanders was going to take the Nebraska job. And I read this and I thought to myself, are you crazy? Why would Deion Sanders take the Nebraska job? He would take the Auburn job, but the Nebraska job, not a chance, right? There's no chance. No. Yeah, that rumor started running. I I don't think there's any validity to that. I mean, Deion's an attractive candidate several places. Uh, I don't think Nebraska is on his radar and probably vice versa. Uh, You know, I would think more possibly Auburn, but I'm not, you know, Dion, I think, would be better in a, in a major market, more like an Arizona state. Big city. In the Phoenix area. He's a big city guy. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And I then, agree. you know, keep your eyes on like a Memphis, uh, which could open up. So uh, maybe maybe South Florida. But, you know, Dion's an attractive coaching candidate. I just don't think that Nebraska's the fit. Thank you, Pat, as always. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. All right, my pleasure, Tony. Thank you. Pat Forty, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Email and jingle to follow. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. be nice to play like bruce griffin wouldn't that be nice you want to do the bethesda bagels ad please yes bethesda bagels uh we got the bagel sandwiches today which is always lovely just go to bethesdabagels.com for the location in the dc area nearest you then pop on in and you'll be thrilled that's it for us today before we get to the mailbag let me say this old heart of mine been broke a thousand times each time you break away i feel you're gone to stay lonely nights that come memories that go bringing you back again hurting me more and more this old heart of mine is one of the top 10 songs of all time. It's just fantastic. It's the Isley Brothers. It's one yes. of the top 10 songs of all time. Thanks to our guests, Michael Wilbon and Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsors, Seat Geek, Trade Coffee, Solo Stove. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. My thanks to Charles Newman for sending me a note um, about uh, Bob and Dawn Dolan and uh, their daughter, Shannon getting married, married Will Hoffman. That was a couple of weeks ago. That was in Austin, Texas, I believe. I think I played golf once with Charles Newman, and I remember it fondly. Let's get to some of these emails. From Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. My wife is having a hard time accepting the fact that I'm making plans for she and I to spend Christmas in Galena, Ohio. (laughs) The power of the show argument is just not working. Do you have any advice? That's funny. And from Sioux City, Iowa, not Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Adam Vega. 
After many years of listening, I can finally claim a true DA moment. On the November 9th show, you read an email from Alex Ferguson asking about the construction project on I-29 in Sioux City, Iowa. I live in Sioux City. I can confirm the seven-year project wow. is now complete. Seven years. We now have three lanes of traffic in both directions from Sergeant Bluff to the border with South Dakota. If there are any other Sioux City Littles, please come see me portray Bob Cratchit in the Sioux City Community Theater's production of A Christmas Carol during the first two weekends in December. I don't think I can sneak all the cheesery into my lines, but I'll try. Can we also be the official community theater of the Tony Corners? Yeah, that's great. Community theater's great. From Gordy in San Diego, California. There's no construction. It's sunny and 70 every day. (laughs) Eat it, Ohio. From Josh Cromwell in Moselle, Mississippi. Can't add anything to the discussion about traffic patterns in Ohio, but anyone traveling on I-59 between Hattiesburg and Moselle should plan to be there for a while because it looks like they're going to be in the process of repaving each lane for the next few decades. They might as well place a sign on the on-ramp that says, Abandon Hope, all ye who enter here. From George Angel in Baltimore, what a time machine your podcast can be. It transported me back nearly 60 years and deposited me in the stands of Winston-Salem's old Memorial Coliseum. There on a February night, I watched through the thick blue haze of cigarette smoke as Ronnie Watts, combining with teammate Frank Christie, propelled the underdog Demon Deacons over Vic Bubis' mighty Duke by one point. Ronnie Watts makes his shots, my friend and I shouted encouragingly at the court throughout the barn burner of a contest, convinced that our vocal adulation was essential to his accuracy. He did his part from the floor. He also outmuscled the eventual ACC champion and NCAA runner-up Blue Devils on the boards that night. It was the greatest of the many home games that I sat in in that clunky airplane hangar of an arena during Watts' three years of eligibility ending in the 64-65 season and tried to memorize his moves to mimic as a starter on the Brunson Elementary squad. Thank you for your remembrance of Watts. It came from his son, of course. And please devote a mini rant of a few seconds to blasting Wake for never inducting him into its Hall of Fame. Oh, well, they should have done that. Yeah, they should have. From Elliot Olshansky in Comac on Long Island. I know you typically save happy trails for PTI, but since you rarely do Formula One stories on PTI, rarely as in never, <laughs> and his significance is greater to us littles, I wanted to note the retirement of Sebastian Vettel or Vettel at this weekend's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Despite being a winner of four consecutive World Drivers Championship titles, Vettel, Vettel, is best known to us littles as the man who was asked, honestly, what the bleep are we doing here? Oh, that's great. After he was knocked out of the Russian Grand Prix in 2016. I'm actually writing this email in early October after this rant was used to end the October 4th show and scheduling it to send on November 13th so it can be read the week of his retirement. Best regards from Suffolk County, where I find myself quoting Mr. Vettel and or Brian Arakpo on a regular basis <laughs> when dealing with my two masculine children. This is from, this is long, Stephen in Queens. I'm a longtime little who started listening during my collegiate years at the University of Iowa, studying computer engineering in the era of battling the sales weasels. I've started writing variations of this email numerous times over the past few years, but here I am, finally compelled to finish it. After two recent episodes mentioned my hometown of Mequon, Wisconsin, as Bill Isaacson noted, Mecklen, where I too received my copy of the Tartan yearbook from Homestead High School. The real trigger was the mention of the Range Line Inn that got me to say I know that inn, which is not actually an inn, but a farmhouse turned restaurant that sits at the top of the hill where Range Line Road meets Mequon Road, and which I have passed innumerable times in my life and have dined at on occasion. My parents ate there just last week. 
but the connective tissue doesn't end there as you and I share employment history. Upon my graduation from Iowa, I took a job as a software engineer in the ESPN mothership in Bristol, where I worked on various mobile phone apps, including a flagship ESPN score, score center app. During this time, I met a girl living in the city who was working as a high school math teacher in the Bronx. And after some dating, I was compelled to find a job working in a small startup of 35 employees called SeatGeek so that we might further our relationship. I like to think that I had a small influence on the decision-making process to start sponsoring the pod around the time SeatGeek was also starting to sponsor your nephew, Bill Simmons. But either way, it has been a joy listening to your commentary on the quality of the copy that our marketing team has put out over the years. The girl, a reluctant fan of yours and a member of your tribe, was raised on Long Island as a graduate of Syosset High School, the alma mater, by the way, of Lenny Shapiro and Sue Bird, SUNY Albany, and Columbia Teachers College, and as someone who could play Long Island geography with you all day. <laughs> she and I were married in 2017 at the Garden City Hotel. How much time have I spent in the Garden City Hotel when I used to work at Newsday, which was in Garden City, at the Garden City Hotel? And we re relocated to Long Island City in Queens, where we've remained since, bringing my lifetime total of addresses to 10. Fast forward a few years in a pandemic, and we have welcomed our first child, a masculine child, to the world on July 11th. A 7-Eleven baby, Noah Grant, 8 pounds, 11 ounces, 20 inches. The show has woven its way through the vast majority of my adult life, and I am grateful for the bigs, guests, jokes, and jingles that make it special. My thanks to you and the, and the gang. Though you have undoubtedly many connections in the entertainment world that can procure tickets to different events and shows, I'd be happy to serve as your dedicated ticketing engineer and concierge at SeatGeek, should the occasion arise that you need one. At the very least, I could show you how to use the app, Grandpa, <laughs> given that I helped make it. Thanks, and use the SeatGeek code, people. Steven in Queens. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear what? I go from Marblehead to Revere. <laughs> Tell me that you love me, baby Show me what you bought Not as apathetic as I seem to be Your daddy used to read you stories About the Jabberwock Your mama used to cry herself to sleep Under a blue, blue.
just where he is Just can't tame the way those fates shake out. 